Craft Beer Radio, episode 163, also on June 4th, 2010. Welcome to Craft Beer Radio, where tonight's going to be a slumber party. Greg's spending the night, and we're going to head off to D.C. for Savor first thing in the morning. Woo-woo! So yeah, we're just, uh, we don't have to worry about alcohol tonight and driving. We have several, I mean, we have many more hours to sober yes, up. Yes, yes, exactly. So we did a real quick show just recently that you've heard about the Clown Shoes beers. So let's get these out of the way and let's move on to what we're going to do next. So let's see, what would be least impressionable on our palate? Greg grabbed a lot of beers here. Let's do this Alesmith Anvil. Yes. We did him recently, and he suffered because I'm a slacker, and I kept him for too long in the fridge. So our uh, super listener, Mike from San Diego, sent us another one, and he's learning. He's putting dates along with his name. <laughs> he's learning that Jeff's, Jeff's too much of a slacker to, uh, to take catalog for granted. My, yeah. Catalog my fridge, right? So yeah, this is Alesmith ESB, their Anvil Ale. This is their flagship ale. Oh, this pour is pretty. It's super clear. It's dark. Oh, what, co- what color brown? Is that a mahogany? No, it's not that dark. What would you call that, Greg? It's a nice color. I would call this a oakish. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe a little bit cherry, right? Because there's some reddishness. Yeah, there. sure, sure. Okay. It's a woody color, you know, but but it's very clear and crisp. It's a uh, 5.5% alcohol by volume. Has to be filtered to be that clear. Look, yeah, that look at how clear that is. 1.056 original gravity. Lots of head on mine, right? Greg has a head that's about three-eighths of an inch thick, and mine is a good two and a half inches thick. So um, he could probably smell a lot more than I can right now. I'm smelling a bunch of, of the uh, smell you get from foam that... And that's about the same. Too much. Mine's a little yeah. more of that. How do I? I've always called it CO two in the past, right? But I, I just realized it's not just the acidity of carbonic acid. This this head has a smell. Let's. I'm gonna try to put a word to it. The only thing I can pull it to is I can pull it back to that root beer we had earlier, and it has almost a, a winter green esque. Hmm, wintergreen's interesting. I was going a different route. I was going to say the the best analog I could come with, and it's not close at all, but the best thing I could come up with would be something acrid like a smoke, right? But if you take, like, some of the components of of wintergreen, try to mute down the mint part a whole bunch, and then add a little bit of the acridness of, of a smoke to it, maybe that's what beer foam smells like. And, and toss in a little bit of carbonic acid. Mm. I need someone with a better palate than mine to tell me what that mm. beer home smells like. Wow. That's interesting. It has a nice um, kind of a, a fruity undertone, kind of like a, a sticky, fruity sort of undertone to it. Um, wow, that's that's weird, Okay. I'm going to say weird. My first thought is, is this thing on the verge of going sour? Because it has this sweet, fruity undertone. It, it tastes like it's almost like a oaked, fruited meat or something. It, it has a, re- a really thin body, a lot thinner body than I had anticipated. I think this is all the yeast doing. They mention the yeast more than twice on the back here, and... Um, they their championship yeast strain. Brewery's yeast in the bottom bottle is living proof. This is top quality bottle condition, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the yeast is really giving this a lot of character here, uh, and it's giving it the, these these flavors underneath it. And like I said, there, there's kind of a it also has a sort of a, 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 a sharp carbonation, and then there's sort of a, a middle that's a little aqueous and watery. It's almost missing. Not that it's necessarily bad, it's just, it doesn't really feel like it's, I mean, it feels, it feels really like all the flavors sort of around a sort of totem pole of non-flavor in the center. I, I, I don't, I don't think this is the beer the brewer intended. 
It's not old. Mike sent us this last month, less than a month ago. But uh, I can't imagine it. It tastes like it's going sour. It tastes the body is ridiculous. I mean, surprisingly thin. Ridiculous wasn't the right word. It's it's surprisingly thin. It has this. It's not really horsey like a Brett or a leathery like Brett. Maybe it's a little bit of Acetobacter. It's not too vinegary yet, though. I don't know. I think this is exactly what they wanted. I think that, like I said, some of this is coming from the yeast. There's also maybe a bit of fruitiness coming from the hops. I think they they were going for uh, not your classic ESP. They were going for much more of a West Coast style thing, right? So uh, big hops in uh, sort of an ESP package where almost the, 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 the what we expect out of an ESP gets kind of lost in the shuffle. With uh, with hops, they're not blatantly assertive, but they're definitely there, and they're definitely pushing it towards a more fruity uh, character. I just think something is eating the body out of this beer. I'm, we went on Beer Advocate just to read some people's reviews, just to see if it's similar to what we're tasting. And the way I'm reading a lot of these reviews, these A's and B pluses and things like that, it sounds like something's eating the body out of this beer for me. I, th- I think there's an infection in there. Because imagine this beer with more malt, more caramel, right? And in this first review where they're saying dried fruit, sticky sweetness, sweetness lingers and gradually melds into a slight bitterness. I'm jumping straight away to this this sweet, alcoholy, um, it tastes like a mead to me. It tastes like a, some kind of sweet mead, the body to it. It's that thin. And I just... I. I I just can't imagine this is what an ESB tastes like. It doesn't have any of the malt profile that an ESB is supposed to have, right? And I'm not saying that Anvil has to have that profile to be a good ESB, but I'm saying... Oh, to fit the style, it kind of does. Well, again, yeah, but is it about styles or is it about good beer, right? So I don't want people to think that I'm saying, oh, it's off style, it's not good. I think I have to presume they're going towards style. And I have to presume the lack of maltiness, along with these other flavors I'm tasting, means that it's off. All right. Maybe third time will be a charmer. Mike can send this again. <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll have Smith send me one right off the bottling line. Okay, so Mike sent us this next beer. Greg Greg was picking beers out of the out of the fridge. Actually, you know what? All four beers are from Mike. <laughs> <laughs> it's Mikey show. This is the Rugbrod from the brewery in Orange County, California. All right, so a Julberg is this is a Julberg style ale. A Julberg is a Denmark style of beer. Uh, it's a Christmas beer. Give it, their names given to beers marketed at Christmas. They vary in strength and style, though tend to be malty and around six percent alcohol by volume. So it's a, it's a Christmas beer. Good thing right. to have on first week of June. <laughs> That's okay. Dark rye style. I bought the Blinner Weiss around Christmas time. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we also have the um, Brewery's Blinner Weiss. I picked that up on that trip out to Ohio that I took uh, when I was off over Christmas week. This time, is 8% but... uh, alcohol by volume. Brewery's in Placentia, California. You may remember that at last year at the Great American Beer Fest, we went on a awesome kick-ass beer tour with Patrick Rue and the guys from the brewery. Yeah. Too bad we can't buy your beers unless we drive 40 minutes across the state line and traffic it back illegally. Huge head on this beer. I um, poured Greg's with a medium amount of vigor and I poured with a huge head. So instead of me adjusting for mine, I poured mine equally vigorously so we have to wait together the brewery's site is a blog so it's really not very it's harder to get information from it Julebird they say translates to jingle bells and while this isn't our winter seasonal we think this is this historically holiday related beer is just as delicious any time of the year marketing speak uh, okay so 30% rye fermented with house yeast moderate fermentation temperature the name is called Rugbrood. 
Rug brood. Rug brood. They tell you what that means. It though? means rye bread. Ah, oh, nice. Come on. This head is dense and thick, and it's not going anywhere. And it's unfortunately blocking us from most of the aroma. Why do I keep smelling the same thing in all these beers? I keep smelling... This one smells a lot like the last one. Yeah. The aroma. Getting that that flavor I was trying to come up with. That aroma that I was trying to come up with. It's a funky flavor. Interesting flavor. A lot going on there. It tastes very alcoholy. I can smell a lot more of that one. We poured... Greg grabbed two snifters. And pouring this beer into a snifter for some reason let it have a much smaller head than pouring into the uh, shaker pint. Alcoholy aroma. It's um, rye is huge aroma on this thing. Thirty percent of the malts are rye. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's a huge aroma. It's it's more rye smelling than I think just about any rye beer that I've smelled. But so it's, in, in my glass, in my pint glass, there is no carbonation. That's what weirded me out the most. So like, there's no carbonation in here. What the heck is going on? There's plenty of carbonation in the beer. Right. The, there's so much rye. I'm, I'm hardly a rye expert. I've, I don't think I've ever seen the grain in its grain form, you know, <laughs> and let it look like for the longest time up until, I don't know, five, almost 10, you know, a little less than 10 years ago, I thought rye seeds were the caraway seeds, right? Right. <laughs> right? So I had no idea. Um, this is so much rye that it carries a little bit of what you get from oats, I think, right? You're a little of the gelatin, maybe from wheat also, right? Because they're, you know, they're, they don't have the husks, right, that, that barley has and other things. And they, they tend to, when they cook up, they gelatinize a little bit. So they smell that little, little bit of gelatinous goopiness. Get any of that in the aroma? So I guess that would be more. In terms of, because what you're doing is you're cooking up starches, mm-hmm. right? And there are really two general types of starch. There's amylose, there's miliopectin. And I think the gooey stuff is the miliopectin. Mm-hmm. Amylose is just really one long chain of right. sugars, and the miliopectin is kind of like a big tree of sugars, in a sense. With most, most rye beers are crisper, right? But this one, I think, has 30% rye. It's coming across more like a higher percentage wheat beer. The reason why I say... Or some oats. The reason why I bring the gooey thing into it is because like a, a shorter grain rice is a lot more miliopectin than, than amylose. Mm-hmm. And that means it becomes gooey. The starch is really gout and kind of sticks. You know, you get sticky rice from the shorter grain rice. Mm-hmm. So that is, I assume, what's going on. The same thing with other um, with the grains, other cereal grains, such as rye and uh, wheat. Uh Maybe barley has more amylose. I, I sort of see where you're getting the stickiness. It's not it's not the same as oats. Though. I mean, oats right. has so much of that that mm-hmm. it, you know it's like it's like a torrent almost. Right, right. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to imply that it was on par with an oat wine. You know, I'm just saying it, it has so much rye that I'm getting some of that character. Definitely tasting more out of the snifter. I want to give the Alesmith another shot. You can see why this is Christmas style in a sense, because you can see this going well with fruitcake, right? You can see this mm-hmm. dark plums, uh, oh, yeah. you know, even pineapple, things like that. You can see this going well with all those sorts of things. I had a cranberry muffin today. Wow, this, this would have gone great with that cranberry muffin. The nice the tartness plus the, the, the deep sugar cranberry muffin made with yogurt. It was. I'm trying to put words to this rye, this rye ale, but... It's hard. Blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. That's a good word. Yeah, I like that. This is interesting. Unlike anything I've had, the aroma straight out of the bottle is a little more pungent. I think this is one you want to let breathe in your snifter. Definitely drink this guy in a snifter. This rug broad from the brewery. Drink him in your snifter. I'm doing him side-by-side shaker pint snifter. The snifter tastes much better. It's crazy how much the... Geometry of the glass is affecting the uh, the flavor here. Actually, this is posted by the article here. The blog post is by Steph. Or do we do we meet Steph? I forget. Yeah, yeah. yeah Steph was, was on. She says that uh, if you don't feel confident taking a stab at the pronunciation, you can point, say that new Danish one, or call it rug burn, as I sometimes mistakenly do. 
Yeah, there was two girls on on the bus, right? One was Patrick's wife, the blonde haired, and Steph was the 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 brown haired girl. Oh, right, the one that um, what's his name was coming on too. Well, actually, there was three girls, and then there was that girl from Sam Adams, right? Not her. Okay, Steph was the short haired kind of rock. Been a long petite time. Petite, yes, girl. Um, she was cute. I remember her style. It's very interesting. I mean, it's. It's hard to describe. I want to say it's it's similar to like what you get from like a Rausch beer, but without the smoke, right? You get that darkness. It's, it's a, you know, it's got kind of the Christmas ale type thing, like a Sierra Nevada Christmas ale, without a lot, without the hoppiness. Sierra Nevada is a bad example because it's so hoppy, right? But like so, you know, replace the hoppiness with, with more of a of a rye. Right? <laughs> I don't know where you're going because Sierra Nevada Christmas ale is practically well, an IPA, right? Okay, so I'm I'm trying to. Because I see the Christmas part of it, you know, anything mm-hmm. that that that, that kind of has a fruit cake like taste oh. to it. Oh yeah, definitely fruit cake. You know, mm-hmm. maybe you know, almost like a, a less alcohol old ale or something along those lines, mm-hmm. right? With a little rye, a little rye to kind of bring it uh, uh, down to a little bit more earthy than sort of an old ale would tend to be, a slightly more fruity than this, but it's still pretty fruity. I'm gonna stick with the uh, take your um, your Rausch your Rausch beer. From Germany, move it over to Denmark, take the smoke out and put it in the rye. I don't see why taking the smoke out of a smoke beer is any different than taking the hop out of a hoppy beer. Because first off, it's it's multi lager, <laughs> and this is a multi type lager. Well, even though they say ale, it has a bit of a lagery flavor to it. And in Sierra Nevada, celebration is like like the granddaddies of American IPA. <laughs> that was very interesting. Maybe a darker winter solstice. No. I think you're closer with that because it has the malt character. Winter Solstice is tough because it has such a strong vanilla cherry flavor yeah. to it. Okay, we're going to go back to the Elsmith Anvil and our new, presumably untainted glasses. I'm going un- to forget everything that I said about it and then start over. Rewind. Getting a little... Um, in the aroma, I'm, I'm getting a little bit of um, acetone, nail polish remover. Yeah, there's something a little off, a little rubber bandish. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really taste much different, does it? it? Tastes different to me. It doesn't taste nearly as sweet. It's Still definitely tastes- it's definitely on the verge of spoiling. However, it's kind of drinkable right now, but it's not what the brewer wanted. Uh, you know, if if the brewer wanted a hoppy non ESB ESB, then then they got it, but. <laughs> I'm sort of with you. If they want an ESB, the more I drink it, the more I'm sort of tasting what I think you're ta- we're talking about, which is, you know, if they, they wanted, they probably wanted, if they wanted an ESB, something with, with you know, enough of a malt profile to, to at least have some standout malt to I mean, it. there's there's big West Coast IPAs that are plenty hoppy, right? That, you know, um, Anderson Valley is one, for example, right? But it still has a malt backbone to it, and and some little bug ate the malt backbone out of that beer. That's all I'm saying. So we'll go for the collaboration this time. Yes, we are. Another. Oh, beer you from- forgot to mention the other buzzwords for 2010 brewing. That was the last podcast, wasn't it? <laughs> was it? I mean, it may have been. Kind of left that hanging, didn't we? <laughs> so anyway, if you remember from last time, there was an article that we left hanging in the air of. Uh, Top seven craft beer trends. It was only 30 minutes ago for us, so you have to excuse us. Uh, so, number one, we only talked about number one out of seven. So, okay. six more. I'll be like, we just start over. Okay, number right. one was nano breweries, and we didn't have too much to say. I haven't looked into what the. Jeff big- wants to start a nano brewery, is basically what he was talking about. Uh, it's everybody's dream to start a nano brewery. The problem is the licensing costs so much, you can't do that in your spare time while you have your day job and sell your beer, right? You have to traditionally. You've had to jump in. And also, I spend wonder your life about brewing. the. I wonder how embraced nano brewing will be from brewing. I mean, because there, there's sort of a, a fellowship or a um, you know a, a, an appreciation of other brewers who you know are micro brewers to to mini brewers slash craft brewers, whatever you want to call them. The sort of fellowship of brewing, but if if the market gets so f- filled in with with tiny little nano brews everywhere, I, w- I wonder if it's not going. It is 
not going to be as much of, of of a kinship among brewers as there is sort of now. I don't see that. I think it would still be okay. I think running a nano brewery where it's your part time job and you still have a day job type thing. And I, I said earlier in the last show, I really need to read up on what these business plans for these nano breweries are. Well, that's exactly my point. Is that the brewers that's their job is making beer. Nano brewery, that's not your job. It's your hobby. It's a different well, thing. It's still altogether. a job, though, because you got to sell your beer. You have to license your beer, which means you have to have a pretty tight business plan to not lose money on it. So that's the hard part. That's what I got to understand more. And I'm going to talk with right. our one, uh, one listener of the show who's opening a Nano brewery in Philly. And I for, forgive me for not remembering the name. Anyway, trend number two. And, uh,. uh Sour beers is trend number two. That was the trend three years ago. So. Yeah, two years ago, yeah. So let's go on to the next one. You don't need to see how much there. Trend number three. Locally produced beer in restaurants. It's kind of like nano brewing, right? It's not really, because it's more about the organic movement. Oh, it's about, locally produced. Yeah, right? so everything it's, is locally. So, done, it's, yeah. it's, so if you're Point Bruges Cafe, you carry East End beer because it's made less than a mile away. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And if you're a brewery, you only get grains that are made from so far away, and hops are so far away, and water. As you know, that was really interesting about your. Um, I want to compliment you on, on your Red Star brewing thing because you know, one of the things that we never talk about is how important the water is in beer. Mm-hmm. You know, he talks about we talk about the four ingredients that go into beer, right? So we have water, yeast, uh, barley, and hops. Mm-hmm. We never talk about the, the fifth ingredient, which is salt. Right. I mean, it, with modern breweries, you remember in the interview, he's talking about the interview I did recently with um, Jeff Guidos from Red Star Brewing, formerly of Red Star Brewing now. And we we're talking about how great the water in Greensburg is yeah. for brewing. But even he said he treats every batch of beer with brewing salts, right? In a modern brewery, you know, brewers can mimic whatever water style they need to do in most cases, right? They run it through an RO if they need to make it less hard. They need to make it so- softer. They will add salts to dilute it. They'll, they'll make the water to match the water, the profiles they need to make the styles. So, I mean, it's a good point you were saying. I, I My counterpoint to it is that it's not like you have to be in the perfect location to make beer anymore. You can do it in other places. So It's just cheaper and easier if you're in a sweet spot to make Pilsners. And that's why you see so many great German Pilsners from eastern Pennsylvania. Water over there is relatively soft. You got, for people who are not aren't in Pennsylvania, I mean, if you go to Beer Advocate right now and look at top German Pilsners in the top 15 list, you'll see Sly Fox. Victory, Trogues, Stouts, you'll see um, Triumph, I think. You know, and they're all from Harrisburg, the center of Pennsylvania, in East. And uh, if you look at other great Pilsners made in America, there's not too many. The, the only one that I can think of, and please, please send me, you know, dissenting opinions. The only one I can think of that competes with Pennsylvania Pilsners is, is Trumer Brewery out in Berkeley. Um, I love that beer too. I, I I want to find more. So send me more pilsners. Tell me about more pilsners that are Sly Fox. No, Sly Fox Pikeland Pils. Yeah. It's in a can. That one's a little hoppier than most. It's kind of an American hopped pilsner. It's still delicious, but the other ones are pretty authentic. All right. So back to the beer. This is. Uh, the, do we even talk about the beer yet? We haven't. Not at all. It's a collaboration from. Stone, 21st Amendment, and Firestone Walker. So these are all California breweries. We have Stone in San Diego, 21st Amendment in San Francisco, and Firestone Walker in, I believe, Paso Robles. Uh, Paso Robles, eh? Eh? Interesting. So a three-way collaboration. Stone's been um, doing these three ways for a while now. (laughs) The we did the uh, the Stone Kelly Belgique, I think. No, no, not the Kelly Belgique, but we did another one, which was Stone McKellar. If there's anyone I expect to do three ways at Stone, Greg Cook is a guy who I can see walking around in the robe with yeah. cigars. 
There was a Stone McKellar in, in a third brewery. Was it Nyagnonogono? You know, that one we can't pronounce. You're right. I'm not sure. Oh, no, the, the Nyagnon uh, collaboration was with Ron Jeffries from uh, Jolly Pumpkin, I believe. Oh, okay. So this is... Okay. What is the beer called again? Just a El Camino Unreal Black Ale. Uh, and is ale brewed with fennel seed, chia seed, does it look like chia pet? Chia seed and pink peppercorns with mission figs added 9.5% alcohol. By nice. So El Camino Real is a street in the Bay Area that runs from like San Francisco all the way down to like past Sunnyvale. Like, like it was like on the street where my hotel was when I had to stay out there. So they called this the El Camino Unreal. Age at cellar temp, 55 degrees or below. Everything has had this pruny flavor today. This kind of darkish. <laughs> Did you see the back of this label? No. A modern day haiku, Twitter inspired. At Stone Brewing Co. At Firestone Walker. At Twenty First Amendment. Three CA brewers connected by one historic road. Amazing collaboration. Barrels. CA ingredients. Figs. Belgian candy sugar, hash mark, El Camino Unreal, hash mark, big dark beer. <laughs> it's probably 140 characters. <laughs> I weep for our future. I guess it is silly for me to complain about dark fruit flavor when there are figs added in this beer. Yeah, I think you're a little off base there, buddy. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that root beer we had in the pre-pre-show spoiled us or not. I don't think it did. I think it's just coincidence. But I'm smelling a root beer flavor out of this thing. But no, but taste it. I mean, it's big time Fig Newton. It's got, <laughs> it's got figs in there. If you wonder what figs taste like, everyone's had a Fig Newton, right? Mm-hmm. The, the other weird thread that we're drawing through this entire show, there's that hotness at the end, right? Yeah. And that's followed through a couple of these beers too. It really, it really has been weird how the beers have sort of followed along that step. I, that's all I'm noticing. It, it just seems like all these beers have sort of been not. I was I didn't try to pick these out, all all these beers out to be t- to this sort of mm-hmm. direction. It just seems to be all the ways that they they, they have similar characters. It's really weird. Um, first sip. And I expect this to change the more I drink this beer. The first sip is ridiculously dry. It's puckering my cheeks and my tongue. It's kind. Of, it's very chalky in the aftertaste. It's, it's just so dry after those figs kind of go away. And I expect that I'll acclimate to this beer and I'll get more out of it. But the first sip is it's just it's parching. It's desert. They put silica gel in here. Do not eat desiccant. <laughs> I don't think they do that much. It's. I mean, imagine your your biggest fruitiest imperial stout, right? But then tone down the the warming a little bit, and you get this. All the, I mean, fennel, mm. fennel seed. Or Give it a shake. Get some of that carbonation out of there. I think it, it becomes a little bit better. Figs are are definitely there present. There's a there's a, a lot of hops. I mean, you can tell what Stone's uh, <laughs> what Stone's contribution was. There are a lot of hops in there. <laughs> I'm joking with Stone. I love him. I'm sure but, we'll see Greg tomorrow, right? We can yeah tease him a little bit. But yeah, there's fennel seed, chia seed, pink peppercorns, which are not Piper Nigrum. Mm-hmm. Tastes a little oxidized, doesn't it? I'm wondering if not really. No. No. Okay. I was going to say, I'm wondering if that's just the dark, roasty malts and, and other things, or if the beer is aged. But again, this is in the, the most recent shipment from Mike, the May shipment. And apparently, like I said earlier, they're bound by one road, so El Camino Real must go a lot further than I thought it did. Paso Robles must be south of the Bay Area. Well, there's like know. one road in Canada, right? There's like one road that goes through... <laughs> All of Canada. And we have Route 66. That's a pretty big... Yeah, but El Camino Real, at least in like the South Bay area, is, is like Midnight Road. It's nothing special, you know? 
El Camino Real is Spanish for the Royal Road, known as the King's Highway. And yeah, there, there's Highway 1, which is the more scenic uh, brother of uh, El Camino Real, apparently. It goes all the way from the Bay Area to San Francisco, or hmm. to San Diego. Who would have thunk? I thought it. It wasn't right, but I thought it. I thought the road was a long road because it went from Sunnyvale to um, San Francisco. You know, 30 miles, 40 mm-hmm. miles. Who would have thought it went a couple hundred? Well, California's a very big state. It is. The more I like it. Um, it's not as, like I said, it's not as chalky as, oh, Greg stole the last bit, you son of a bitch. Um, it's not as dry and chalky anymore. However, it's putting grit on my teeth like I'm eating, you know, peeps or something like ridiculously high in sugar. Your teeth all scratchy and you brush your teeth right now? Hmm? Do you feel like you have to brush your teeth after drinking that beer? A little bit. My teeth were smooth until I drank that beer and now they're all like funked up. All right. So we got another beer from a brewery that we've never had. And this is Lightning. Purity, quality, integrity. This is Black Lightning Porter from Lightning Brewery. Fine handcrafted ales. In Poway, San Diego County, California. Lightning. I just like the name of it. Lightning Brewery. So this is another recent from our listener, Mike. He sent us a bottle. A while ago. That is is still in the fridge over there. (laughs) And he probably forgot that he sent it to us, right? So he sent the second one. And this is the fresh one, so we decided to... Alright. It's it's an 8.5% Baltic Porter. It's their fall seasonal. I didn't know it was a Baltic Porter. It's the one you have in your fridge. You're probably fine. Nine different malts. The bulk of which are from the UK. Classic UK maltsters, they say. Even though many breweries will add coffee and cocoa extracts to produce these effects, we feel this cannot replace the subtlety of experience by using only malted and then roasted barleys. Now, that may be marketing speak, but it's good marketing speak. I think it's true. Yeah, it's definitely, it's not, you know, will wow your right. sensibilities and blah, 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 blah. It doesn't say they'll be, they'll be awesome. It just says we feel that these flavors, you know, you get better flavors out of using the malts and then using cocoa and coffee extract. Okay, let's jump back to uh, craft beer trends. All right. Creative labeling is on this list. I think that's been around for years, right? Beer marketing companies are always... Look I mean, at all these labels we have here. There, there are lots of creative ones. I mean, isn't that kind of definition of a label is to be creative, to create it? I mean... Yeah. I mean, and think of creative, you know, some of my favorite creative labels that, that have beer to back them up, right, is the uh, the Coney Island beers from Schmaltzbring, from Hebrew, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I love those labels because they're all sideshow you know, Coney Island, you know, shouter type things. And they're also very phallic. They, Intentionally all, so. Yeah, so. They, they're, you know, just sort of to see how far they can get past the sensors. I uh, I caught a, uh, a a tweet from Jeremy Cowan the other day. I don't know if you saw this. I think I, I sent it off to James Spencer, so I didn't tweet it to everyone, so you might not have seen it. Um, they've opened a storefront, I think, in Coney Island, right? And they call it Coney Island... Coney Island Brewery, and it's another sideshow thing. It's the world's smallest brewery. So they have this little three-tier brewery of one-gallon vessels, and they brew one-gallon batches of beer there, <laughs> right? They still brew all their big beer at their contract right. brewers, wherever, you know, like all the Coney Island beers. But they make beer at the Coney Island Brewery, one gallon. And I'm like, really? One gallon? I mean... So I sent an email off to James Spencer from Basic Brewing. I'm like, I bet you could do smaller because he's been doing small batch beers, one gallon beers, home brewing right. forever now. He he loves that that form factor to prototype beers. And I was thinking, I brought a, a potato ricer, which was a cheap, crappy one, and the handle bent and broke, so I couldn't rice potatoes with it anymore. But I got this bottom right. I'm like, this is the perfect one cup mash tun. 
Because <laughs> it has all those holes in it, right? So I'll have to make a an eight ounce brewery. What do you think? <laughs> and I'll t- say, Jeremy Cowan, screw you! How I much, got an eight how ounce much yeast. Brewery. Would you use an eight ounce brewery? <laughs> I don't know, but I got my one cup mash tun right there, man. Yeah, but so um, check out the, uh, the the Jeremy's Facebook page, the Hebrew Facebook page. They have linked pictures to the uh, the Hebrew or the. Not the Hebrew, the Coney Island Brewery. It, it's kind of neat. I think it's just the storefront to sell the the Coney Island beers. But you know, they had to take the sideshow and world's smallest brewery. Yeah, I mean that's kind of cool. It's kind of cute. But yeah, they probably they they probably don't actually. If anything, they probably just drink that beer. They probably don't actually sell that particular beer from that one gallon. They just give you the bottles of their. Most beer. of the beers available are brewed in production sizes. Yeah, yeah. I would think it would be a misstep. Not to to bottle and sell the one gallon beers as these one off. See, I don't know if you'd bottle them. You may tap them. One gallon? Yeah, it's not gonna last long. You could make a six pack, but how would you curb? You know, you couldn't put in a homebrew keg. Well, it's it, it's like it, it's like Dark Lord, only a lot more exclusive. See, I would I would I would take my one gallon. I would fill a six pack. And I would sell it at you know a, a crazy price and give the money to charity, give it to charity or something like that. You know, I think it's a misstep if they don't sell the the, the beers made on the world's smallest microbrewery. All right, lightning, lightning from black lightning, lightning porter. Wasn't black lightning a, a black superhero? I have no idea. Don't do a great job of hiding the alcohol here. But there's some good flavors to be had. Yes, Black Lightning was a superhero. One of the first major African-American superheroes to appear in DC Comics. Nice. What was his superpower? I think he had lightning. <laughs> Spike <laughs> Oh, you'll love the uh, the next uh, craft beer trend. Extreme beer. And I can see why it's 2010. Because of the brew dog stuff. Oh, I see what you're saying, right. You know, tactical nuclear penguin and sink the Bismarck and then the... Uh, Which I agree with you in that you said, you know, that's not making a... For- that You're not really making a 40% pure. You're distilling a beer. You're mm-hmm. making a distiller. You can make a very good product, right? I've heard good things about sink the Bismarck. I said, I, I said it on Twitter that these articles all about the world's strongest beer... Terrible article, by the way. The one that I the one sent you, you sent me, yeah. but there, there's there's others, and it's 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 a rare occasion where they put in the footnote saying, "Hey, Sam Adams Utopias is the world's strongest fermented beer compared to Naturally these other beers. fermented. Yeah, these other beers are ice distilled. That it, it's like Barry Bonds with the home run record or whatever, right? It it needs that asterisk by it, you know. Your asterisk asterisk. You're using performance-enhancing drugs to make these beers. In a sense, you're. I mean, a beer by definition is not distilled. If you do any distilling on it, it becomes a liqueur and not a, a hmm. or, or at least a distillation. Ice beer and is, not a beer. Ice beer is still a category. I don't know whether you can. I mean, I don't consider ice beer truly beer in in the in the sense that I consider like a utopia beer. I mean, to me. If you put, if you have distillation in any part of it, whether it's you know hot or cold distillation, it's still distillation. I disagree with you. I, I still I call them all beers. I even call Sink the Bismarck and Nuclear Penguin and the and the, the Schloss Lauer Brau or whatever the pronunciation is uh, beers beers. I just I I feel that it you're is you're the one who disingenuous who, to say that the world's strongest beer. You've is. you've fought with me on whether sake is a beer, and then you're you're calling tactical nuclear penguin and stuff like that a beer. Mm-hmm. No, at least sake is a brewed cereal grain that's not distilled. There you go, it's a beer. Sake is sake. It's its own category. It uses uh, uses mold. It uses rice as the main fermentable. It is it brewed cereal grain. There are other brews that use rice. Okay, so there's a super category for beers Budweiser and sake. Budweiser uses rice as a as a as an adjunct. It's not the. It's not the main I, fermentable. I thought the I thought rice was the main fermentable in Budweiser. I don't believe so. I'm pretty sure it is. 
We'll look it up one push. Um, I I don't disagree. There's not a super category for sake and beer, and maybe things like uh, kamchupka or whatever that is. You know, the fermented Hitachio's Nest Red Rice Ale. But there have been other rice beers that have been made. You know, it's not carbonated. It doesn't mean it's not a beer. Utopias aren't carbonated either. Sure, sure. Really I don't know exactly how extensively Utopias are hopped either. It has to be hopped. It's hopped. It's it balanced on that ridiculous beast. It needs hops. It needs bitterness. I don't know. Anyway. Back to the whole point was, my tweet was that you shouldn't get as much... If you can naturally ferment a beer to 27%, Versus ice is still a beer to 43%. In my opinion, the brewer who does the natural fermentation deserves the kudos. Agreed. Making a great tasting beer at 43% deserves attention. Well, it's like, it's almost, to me, the same thing but as... But at, at, 40, at 41, 42, 43%, someone just needs to make like a 98% ice is still beer and just <laughs> grab the title and be done with it. I got the... Ales of the Revolution by Yards. They did his Ales of the Revolution pack. And uh, one of them was a Tavern Spruce. But Tavern Spruce was not on label called a beer. It's a malt beverage because it doesn't use barley. It uses spruce. Now, spruce would replace the hops. Is that what it was? Well, anyway, on the label, it it was labeled a malt beverage and not a beer. We would have to ask Tom Kehoe exactly why. I'm sure it's some stupid law. We don't have... A lot of states have that thing where if it's over a certain alcohol percentage, it needs to be a malt beverage. Pennsylvania doesn't have that stupid law. I don't know what the uh, tipping factor for Tavern Spruce Sale is to make it not labeled as a beer, but... So if you were That's in the Pennsylvania area, it. you should give that a shot because there's some interesting stuff there. It's not quite like the Sam Adams, which I think was really – they really tried to brew it almost exactly like the brewers back then would have tried, whereas I think the yards, they tried to make them palatable for today's audiences. Still a very interesting and, and cool idea, both of them. What's next on the list? Hybrid styles. So here they're talking about talking about doubles and triple IPAs. They're talking about barrel-aged beers. They're talking about adjuncts such as peanut butter, chilies, spices, tea leaves, uh, anything you know new. And uh, I don't know. I mean, oak isn't necessarily new for 2010. Peanut doubles and be. doubles and triples aren't new for 2010. I. I do you get a feeling that some new ingredients are being I'm, introduced? I don't know if I've ever had a peanut butter beer. I have. Uh, it was a homebrew beer. So when I went to Cincinnati for the National Homebrews Conference two years ago, one of the homebrew clubs did a, a scheme of food and beer. They had a peanut butter and jelly beer. They had a Jamaican jerk beer. They had a lemongrass and leche nut wit beer. They had These were all fantastic Sounds good, actually. The Jamaican jerk beer, you know, it was kind of a spicy, portery thing. I it love was, it. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to get an awesome de- an awesome chili beer, but people have been getting much better at it. Mm-hmm. And some chili beers have been fantastic. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the first chili beers were kind of like novelties, but some chili beers are absolutely fantastic. What was the one we had from... Uh, same guy's a strawberry shortcake, right? They also had a chili beer. Oh, shorts. Was, I don't remember the... Schwartz had a, had a chili beer that was great. I've had some good chili beers. I agree with you on that one. And the final uh, trend is collaboration beers. And, uh, you know, I've already said that, where, mm-hmm. where collaboration is the new IBU. Yeah. So, so what's the new trend? I, I, don't, I don't buy this list. This list sucks. It's a little dated. I think, uh, I think crazy ingredients. You know, we just had our first... Um, Clementine beer. Today. I think hybridized styles is something that that, that I that I think we, we might start seeing more of. People who are trying to you know go beyond the style guide. I think, um, I mean, 
collaboration being normal is 2010. Collaboration being new is 2009. Right? What do I see as a trend in 2010? Um, do you know what tomorrow is? Do you know what tomorrow is? June 6th? 5th? 5th? 2010? 2010? That's our 5th year anniversary. Really? Yeah. Well, let's celebrate by going to Savor. I think that's what we're doing. All right. Holy shit. 5th <laughs> year anniversary tomorrow. Party! So, these uh, Lightning Brewing uh, Black Lightning... Yes, I like it. it it's, I like it too. It's um, it's not super alcoholic. You mentioned that you could taste the alcohol. Compared after having half a glass, after comparing it to other imperial porters, it's not super alcoholic. It has a bit of a woody flavor to it, right? It, it reminds me a little bit of the late taste in like Palo Santo, where you get that that wood flavor from the from the beer. I like it. It's it's a good imperial style or imperial porter. I like it too. I like it a lot. In fact, it may be my favorite of the night. <gasps> dun, dun, Shut dun, your dun. mouth. Let's do it. Let's rank them. I got my ranking. I'm ready. Go. Yeah. All right. Shoot it. Black lightning. Black lightning. We didn't really get lightning storm tonight. I thought we were going to get one. Maybe it's still to come. I thought it was great. I really did. You know, it was a little high. The alcohol was high, but um, it worked. I think it was the my favorite beer of the night. Let's call it that. Um, uh, breweries next. Rugburn, uh, their Christmas ale. What can I say? It was very, very, very good. Mm-hmm. We both enjoyed it very much. Uh, it had a little bit of the gooiness, I guess you might want to say, that a note meal has because it has so much rye in it. But it's it's just, I mean, I think that it, it's a really great example of rye in beer, right? Mm-hmm. And just very well, it's, it's very a, well made. Sure. It's a brewery. They're fantastic. I'm going to go with the El Camino. Next, the Unreal Black Ale. Fennel Seed, Chia Seed, Pink Peppercorns, Mission Figs. There's a lot in there. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, it, it tasted like it. And they all, all these beers had kind of a flavor going around. They were all kind of these dark, fruity beers. Which we didn't know we were getting into. Yeah. It was it, very fortuitous. It's... Uh, you know, it, 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 it has so much adjuncts in it. I mean, it's good. It's, 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 it's pretty damn good, but it doesn't quite measure up to the other ones. And then, of course, the, the Anvil just wasn't there. Both times we've had the Anvil, it hasn't lived up to its, in theory, its potential. That's the reason we drank it tonight, is so we could drink it fresh. Yeah. So we could see how great it was. Right. We, we, it, we were going, I mean, that was our intention was to say, this is an awesome, incredible beer. How can you go wrong? And the second time, I mean, I kind of like, I, I forgave it a bit at the beginning, but the more I tasted it, the more I, I was convinced. Uh, going that, bad. That, yeah, that Jeff was right and that I was wrong. Hell yeah, man. All right. So I agree in your same general order where, you know, the top three beers were all very good. I'm going to have to mix them up a little bit. Uh, I'm going to have to put my favorite beer of the night. It's a toss-up for me between the uh, the Rugbrod or Rugburn and, and, the, and the Collaboration beer. They, they both grew on me. I'm trying to think which one I found more delicious at the end of the glass. Um, that's one thing about tonight is none of the beers were delicious. I mean, they were all good from the first sip, but none of they all got better as my palate acclimated to them uh, number one beer I'm going to give the brewery the Rugbrod uh, I really like that that roasty toasty lager even though it's now that lager flavor with the, the rye dig it number two the collaboration from Firestone Walker 21st Amendment and Stone third is going to be Lightning first beer from Lightning very good very good stuff 
Uh, and then uh, it's brewed by a PhD, so you know he's smart. He's a doctor. 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 Doctor Brewer. Doctor Black Lightning. And then uh, Anvil ESB. We've said it too many times already, but maybe someday we'll get a fresh Anvil. Hopefully, I mean, it's, it's, it seems like we're gonna have to go to the, to San Diego to get it. <clears throat> All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to episode one hundred and sixty. Three, I think. Sounds about right. This episode of Craft Beer Radio. Our fifth anniversary episode. And uh, we just I, found out we now. recorded this before Saver. We're probably going to put this up after Saver. If things go as planned, one thirty-two will go up as soon as I land in D.C. and get internet. And post-show time. Blah, blah, blah. 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 Thank you for listening to Craft Beer Radio. If you have questions or comments, you can email us at beer at craftbeerradio.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit craftbeerradio.com for more information. The opening and closing music is Last Hurrah, the band The Lights Out. You can listen to more of their music at their website, thelightsout.com. Some people get a longer fuse. Some people's shoulders are big enough to be they never say what you can't hear But when they go, they're gone for good Now it's no use Consider this your last defense Consider this your last Originally, Black Lightning was described as having no innate power using a belt that allowed him to generate a force field and project electrical bolts. This power was later internalized by long exposure, allowing him to use these abilities without the belt. According to Black Lightning Year One, Jefferson Pierce is in current continuity a metahuman who was born with the ability to generate and magnify external localized electromagnetic phenomena by manipulating intense bioelectric fields generated by his body. This is a power he internalized and kept hidden for much of his early part of the adult life. Exactly how much electrical energy Black Lightning can generate is unknown, but he can easily stun or kill a man with his internal powers and on one occasion was able to restart Superman's heart after the Man of Steel had suffered from a near-fatal kryptonite exposure. He can also generate a powerful electromagnetic force field capable of stopping projectiles. However, this act requires considerable effort and concentration. He has demonstrated the ability to create an electromagnetic repulsion field which grants him limited flight capabilities. Pierce also maintains his Olympic-level physical conditioning, giving him above-average strength, speed, and stamina. Under Batman's tutelage, he became... <laughs> That's hilarious. Under Batman's tutelage, he has become a highly skilled hand-to-hand martial artist and combatant. Under Batman. Black lightning, motherfuckers. Black.